right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Friday here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. In with me on this beautiful Friday, Adam Dravetta and Cole Cedabutar. The Jayhawks take on the Red Raiders tomorrow, 3 o'clock, with pregame starting at 1.30 in an extended pregame. I'll be out with Scott Jason from 12.30 to 1.30 out at Mama's Tamale Shop before the game. So come on out, get some good food, get some good drink. We actually have some KU football tickets to be given away. Um, Some other stuff as well, T-shirts, tickets to some other events. So come on out to Mama's Tamale Shop. It's going to be the place to be before the game. It's right on your way in. So uh, stop by. Uh, in this game specifically, I've, I've mentioned a lot that there's a lot of pressure on KU to perform well, and that's kind of a vague way of putting it because you can look at it in many different ways. Obviously, if they win, that would be considered a very big success. What would they have to do, though, in a loss for you to come away from this game saying, all right, I like what we saw there? Uh, first off, not to one-up you, Derek, you said happy Friday, which I agree with. I would like to wish everybody, uh, well, at least you and me, happy homecoming uh, weekend. Uh, Cole, is your a junior or senior? Uh, I'm a junior. So you're not yet an alumnus, so homecoming won't, uh, you're just a student. So homecoming is more for me and Derek right now. Uh, in a homecoming years, means bad parking for me. Yeah, exactly. So happy homecoming to uh, all our fellow KU alumni, to answer your question, Derek, um, for me it's still, so one thing that I said again and again and again throughout the previous coaching tenures is that one thing you could basically count on with a Mangino coach team, and I have no doubt that he learned this from Bill Snyder because this was always, you could bank on this with a Bill Snyder coach team, is there's not, the talent level will take time. To build, and I have faith that Coach Lightbold will get KU there. But the thing you can control at this moment is stupid mistakes, and you know I don't want ridiculous penalties. Look, sometimes you're going to get called for a holding. You know, you could argue that in it's you know in high levels of football, you could call holding on every offensive lineman virtually every play, but no stupid penalties. And look, KU, as far as the turnovers go, they had made progress in that area really up until the Iowa State game. Um, and, you know, it, it all kind of started going downhill as soon as Jason Bean, who, again, I still I trust at the, at the quarterback position, but he had that just that ball pop right off his hip. Um, that's what I if – I, if, if we go away from this, I'm, I'm going to say, all right, if they, if they have no or very few penalties and they have no turnovers, or if the turnover is just the result of the defense making a great play, that's fine too. Um, but the, those are the things that you can control right now. You can't control this team's talent level. 
you can't necessarily control their strength. That's something they build in the offseason. So what I'm looking at now is the things they can control. How well disciplined are they? That's what I'm after. Here's what I think. I think that this is an opportunity for the KU offense to show something that we just haven't seen all year. This is a bottom 10 offense uh, averaging 17 points a game-ish. And the Texas Tech defense is, is, is terrible, like legitimately terrible. I think it's also a bottom 20 or bottom 10 defense uh, in the nation. So KU needs to show something. You know, uh, I would say my goal would be something around like 28, 29, something around there. Uh, if we can't do that and our offense is bad even against a verifiably terrible defense, I I would not be very optimistic. If we can put up a, a reasonable amount of points, then I think that that will be a sign of something, right? Doing what you're supposed to do against bad defenses is a good sign. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, too, because, you know, I, you can almost get on board with the idea that just like the defense isn't going to be fixed this year. There's so many issues with the defense right now that you're giving up over 50 points per game to FBS competition. You're playing an offense that for Tech has been explosive at times. It's probably not going to be fixed this game or the rest of the year. You would hope that it can be at least improved, even if it's not fixed, but at least see something from the offense to that reason because if the defense isn't going to get fixed, you just look toward improvement on that end of the football maybe. Have they scored more than twenty eight? You, you gave the line. You gave the number. Yeah, they were thirty three against uh, Duke. Aside from Duke, that's what I was going to ask. No, it's thirty three against Duke, and then that was followed by the uh, twenty two they had against Coastal. But that that could have been more had they uh, capitalized on a couple of those fourth downs. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's a great point. I think you know, scoring against. It's almost like when you're a good team, you should uh, be beating bad teams. In this case, you sh- you don't necessarily need to beat. Uh, Texas Tech, but you should be scoring against what is, as Cole said, and what I think we all agree with, a, a lesser defense. Yeah, I, I I think it's interesting, too, from the standpoint of if you're going to be bad, like what would you rather see? Would you rather KU in a game like this lose 21-7 to where they cover the spread, the defense had at that point their best game of the season, or would you rather see a game where Texas Tech wins 52-34, to 34, where you don't cover the spread, maybe you were out of it a little bit more, the defense continues to be bad, but you were more entertaining on offense? If, the, if those 34 points are spread over the course of most of the game, give me that. I, I wouldn't want it to be like, you know, 49-6 to six going into the middle of the third quarter and all of a sudden KU is able to push the ball against some some lesser tech or, or an uninterested Texas Tech. If it's one of those things where Tech jumps out to a 14 or 17 point lead, but KU can like they never are officially in it, but they they kind of keep scaring Tech into scoring more. You know that that they're never necessarily in it, but they're never down by more than 14 at any given moment. Um yeah, I'd be okay with that. I, Till late, I mean, I guess you did say cover the spread, but I would be, if, if they're never, you know, if they're never, I don't want to see a point in this game where it's like, you know, first quarter, this is done, where it's over. Um, so if they're going to score 30-something, I'd, I'd be all for that. I would much prefer it to be scored evenly over the course of the game because that tells me they're scoring against their first team too. 
we play in the Big 12. I don't buy into the narrative that the Big 12 is like god-awful at defense, but there are some teams that have extremely high-powered offenses and uh, don't give a lick about defense in the Big 12. And frankly, you can win a lot of games in the Big 12 with that mindset. So if the goal for KU football is to, in the next you know year or two, win games in conference, then you ought to be able to score against Big 12 defenses. Yeah, I I would rather have the shootout because at least you're you're entertaining on that end of the football. At least right now, just because, like I said, I don't really have expectations for the defense. I I kind of do have expectations for the offense in this game. Everything you mentioned, Cole, with the defense for Texas Tech not being good, and the fact that you have shown certain signs of progress on the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line has played a lot better the last couple of weeks. Your running game has looked a lot better over the last couple of weeks. Texas Tech specifically, the area they struggle in defensively is against the run. You look at the games they had against TCU and Texas, against elite running backs, which, you know, I don't know. I think Devin Neal can get to that point where he's one of the best running backs in the Big 12. I don't know if you view him that way as a freshman, but you have guys like Bajon Robinson and Zach Evans, who were both top, top-tier five-star recruits and are now sophomores at their respective schools, and they just ran all over Texas Tech. And maybe that's an avenue that, that KU can find some success there. And if you combine that with a good day from Jason Bean, I don't see why there's any reason that Kansas can't score 30 or more points in this game. But the sad part is there's a very real chance KU could score 35, 38 points in this game, and you walk away feeling really confident in the offense but the defense just gave up 55, which, again, I would rather have that to where at least if you were competitive and you were moving the ball on offense, you kept people entertained, you allowed the home fans on homecoming to wave the weed as much as possible, but it's also just a, a long process. But, again, I go back to the fact that it is just important that you put on a good show in this game with you look at the next two games, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, those are games that you're going to be expected to lose – by big scores and that would mean you would basically have I believe from the Oklahoma State game to the start of basketball season is single digit days away you lose this game big and then you lose those games big as well it's going to be a lot harder to sell the fans to come out even for the Kansas State game and we need to make it clear here you know we we you know we kind of had minimal optimism going against Iowa State but a lot of that optimism was built on Iowa State coming out and struggling at the beginning of the year. KU, now look, KU made some mistakes against Iowa State. Iowa State, though, looked like a real top 10 team against KU. It, it, you know, Iowa State looked more like what I think everybody expected them regular season. We're all on the record as saying this is one of the worst teams KU is going to have for the rest of the year. This isn't like... Uh, an Iowa State team that had high expectations and sputtered out of the gate. This is a Texas Tech team that had no expectations and that we're all in agreement. This this is, you know, maybe aside from West Virginia, this is the West, worst team they're playing the rest of the season? Yes, it is. And I think this helps too. So this is some numbers I was digging into. Light pulled off bye weeks. This is no Andy Reid numbers. And actually, some of these numbers aren't great, but when you combine them together, you basically find a story of Lance Leipold coach teams when they have extra days of rest. Okay, so first of all, when they're coming off bye weeks, it hasn't been that ultra-aggressive for Lance Leipold's record. Four and five is Lance Leipold's record at Buffalo coming off of bye weeks, but if you consider a full bye week, because there was a lot of times when he was playing in the MAC, they would have one week off, and then 
they would play on a Tuesday. So it'd be like it, it'd kind of be a bye week, but not really. So two and two off of full buys, but three and one was his record in off bye weeks playing home games, which is the case for KU this week. Um, here's though where you add in the other games where it's just instead of off directly bye weeks, it's off of just times with more rest, with more days in between games. So if you look at days where they had at least eight days in between games, that means eight days off between games, technically nine between one game to the next. Four and one with those extra days of rest. And then if you look at long layoffs where you have extra times, that would mean season openers. That would mean bowl games, except for last year. Their bowl game was a week after the MAC championship because things got so delayed in the season. Six and three on long layoffs and four and one at home for Lance Leipold. So you add all that up, that means that Lance Leipold in his time at Buffalo with eight days or more of rest was 14 and nine. And they were 13-4 and four since 2017. So of late, they were really good. And this too, they were 9-2 and two at home off of eight or more days of rest. What do you think, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm jumping off, I'm taking that as a jumping off point because I, I want to know how they spent this bye week. Um, because they were good enough at, at Buffalo that every game they should have been building a game plan for. And, and I know they're building game plans here. But I'm just curious, and I don't think Leipold has ever answered this. I don't know that he's been asked this. But I'm very, very curious, if, if you get into the minds of the coaching staff, if you're in the meeting rooms, what percentage are they spending their practices on building what they want KU to be versus a more traditional game plan? That is to say, when they institute what they want to institute and they've got the talent level that they want, maybe in three years, they're actually – making more traditional game plans week to week. What percentage do you think they're building the program now versus actually week to week dialing up what we consider game plans? Well, to answer your question real quick, we'll have BMAC on here in 20 minutes, and we'll talk to him about that and, and what they did with Mangino, but got to talk to some of the KU players earlier this week, and they mentioned that the first week of the bye week wasn't really spent in game planning. It was spent on internal evaluation. They were basically scrimmaging against each other, and then this week was more so for game planning. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm thinking about your stats that you provided for Leipold at Buffalo, and I'm sort of wondering, is that actually above average for good teams coming off bye weeks? Um, you know, when you look at, like, Andy Reid's numbers, one, they had, like, a lot larger uh, sample sizes than these Leipold numbers. And uh, two, everyone in the NFL is a, a good coach for a generally good team, depending on the year. But uh, in college, when, you know, you can be good for a lot longer span of time, I wonder if those numbers are actually abnormal uh, or if those are usual and how those reflect on, like, bad teams like you know we we can call KU a bad team uh how those numbers change for bad teams coming off by weeks he's Cole Cedabutar with Adam Drovetta I'm Derek Johnson Brandon McAnderson joins us in about 20 minutes voice of the Jayhawks Brian Haney at the top of the five o'clock hour we'll be back after this timeout. talk a little Chiefs with their game on Sunday against the football team that on the other side it's a Friday, time to talk to Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk radio crew as the sideline reporter. You can hear him on the pregame show starting at 1.30 tomorrow on KLWN. So BMAC, coming off a bye week for this Kansas team, and you have the, the tough loss to Iowa State in terms of the score of the game. 
Does the bye week make that easier to manage because you have more time between games to kind of just move past it? Or does it make it more difficult to move past a game like that because you don't have the immediate game right after? I think it's easy because there's so much work to be done. And every time you talk to one of these, these young, I've been so impressed with these guys. They're not running from it. You know, they know what the expectations are. They know what the weaknesses are. And they're, they're trying to take them head on. So I think either way, they're moving forward. And I think they're excited about the opportunity. Yeah, I uh, am curious with what specifically the bye week is going to do for this team. And, and talking to some of the players it was a lot of, you know, internal evaluation and just working on themselves in the first week. And then this week was more about, you know, kind of the uh, the scouting with Texas Tech. Is that normal? Is that what you uh, were accustomed to when you were at KU? Yeah, first week was always good. on The first actual bye week was always good on good, back to fundamentals, you know, long fundamental focus periods to where in the season there's just less time for it because there's so much uh, opponent prep. There might be new plays in. So it's not a time where, you know, it's, you're lucky to have a bye week because you get to actually do some work on yourselves and on your fundamentals. And this is a team that needs as much of that as possible just because they're behind the eight ball and a lot of that stuff. So I think it's a group that's pretty probably pretty excited to have a chance to get to work and do some do some fundamental hard work things and then get to refocus, take what they've learned, take what they've gained, and get ready for another opponent. Yeah, what is the biggest benefit of the bye week? Is it just getting healthier? Is it having that kind of week in between where, like you said, you can kind of refocus on the fundamentals? Is it just having an extra week, so to speak, of preparation for your next opponent? What is the biggest benefit, and and what do you think uh, could be the thing that we see that looks improved the most on Saturday's game? So I think for the players, first it's rest. Secondly, it's having a chance to work on your individual fundamentals. You just get healthier because you don't have to play at full speed all the time. Now, for the coaches, I think the coaches like that extra week of prep because then they get that, you know, I always think of coaches like football scientists. You know, they get a chance to see who can do what and what they're good at, and that bye week gives them a chance to reevaluate some of those things and maybe evaluate some other things they want to put in because you got to figure their whole playbook isn't in at this point. So maybe that whole week helped them evaluate um, the fit of some of these things. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So KU is playing Texas Tech. The Red Raiders have had some games where the opposition has gone off from a running perspective. And for KU, I think that's music to your ears with how You've ran the ball the last couple weeks and what you're trying and intending to do in this game. I I don't know uh, how much tape or anything you've watched on Texas Tech, but uh, are there certain ways you think that the KU running game can exploit the Red Raiders? Yeah, absolutely. They play more of a 3-3-5 kind of thing, which basically means they, they like to keep their box, you know, three defensive linemen, three linebackers stacked in the same position. So then when they load the box, they do it with smaller players, so more safety-type bodies. And after playing a team like Iowa State, I know they'll be welcome to see that because Iowa State in the front seven was enormous. So you get a team like Texas Tech who they get the linebacker spot, but sometimes you're going to bring that safety in, and your seven guys is going to be smaller. And that will help Kansas because then they can get that tight end in the game, those tight ends in the game, and they can get Jason Bean in the running game. So I like their chances of being able to move the ball uh, successfully uh, on the ground. 
And as far as Jason Bean goes, the Iowa State game was maybe more of a down performance, but we've seen obviously the highlight performances from him so far this season. What are you expecting from him in the game tomorrow? I expect him to continue to get better. I know that no one would say they thought Jason Bean played well in that Iowa State game, but <clears throat> there's a certain level of consistency that he provides where he can hit you. He, I think passing the ball, he's been – He's far exceeded expectations. I even think he did last week. He, I mean, against Iowa State, he's accurate, and when he gets and when he gets hot, he is streaky, and he'll hit everything. So I think he'll continue to improve, and I think they'll they'll want to get him back involved in the run game, either as a productive me- measure or as a uh, as a decoy attention measure. But I think they want to get him back involved without putting him in too much danger in the run game. The defense has struggled ever since the South Dakota game. Do you think any of what you saw from some of the struggles, is any of that fixable with that bye week? Yeah, I think tackling definitely is, because I think tackling's been an issue. Uh, not just for the, the linebacking core, but for the secondary. And I think it gives them a chance to to get on balance and get back to work on the things that um, have shown themselves as weaknesses throughout the season. Because maybe there's something that, a player didn't know he'd struggle with that he's currently struggling with that he's had a chance to reevaluate. So I think you can see tackling improvements. You can see, you know, guys more dialed into the game plan just because they're more comfortable with what they're doing. That, that extra two, that extra week helps. Yeah. Do you think that, um, I don't know, with, with the defense, I just wonder if they have to almost offensively look at being more aggressive, knowing that, hey, if we want to win a game, we're going to have to score a lot of points. And not that they haven't been aggressive. They've been going for it on a lot of fourth downs. I just wonder if, you know, it needs to almost be in in high gear uh, because they're giving up over 50 points per game to FBS opponents right now, and you hope for that to improve. But I would imagine the offense has to go into a game thinking we've got to score high 30s and the 40 points if we want a chance at winning. Yeah, I think it's less about the points because I don't think you go into a game thinking, you know, we're going to give up a lot of points, even though that might be a reality. But when you have a weaker defense on it, offensively, you're thinking, let's let's keep possession of the ball. Let's run for first downs. Let the clock run and minimize the amount of possessions they get by maximizing the time of possession on offense. So I think that's always been the focus of this coaching staff. But now that the offensive line has found that continuity and the back, the backfield is settled, they can actually take advantage of that and keep Texas Tech's offense on the sideline. Yeah, so what have you seen from that Texas Tech offense that you think could be challenging, but in other ways you think KU's defense might actually be able to exploit a little bit? So I think the, I think that through the offseason work that this team has done, they are not they haven't been physically mismatched against anyone they've played. And they've played some pretty good teams. So I think that's kind of been a, a nice thing that's kinda of under the radar, but it's been nice to see. So I think physically they can match up with the Texas Tech just fine. It's a matter of executing. You know, it isn't like you know, Iowa State they had a blown coverage on the one touchdown. Uh the first touchdown, Jacoby Bryant was aggressive, you know, trying to to defend the stop route a little bit too aggressive. Then the third one, they had a fumble, so they were already backed up in their own territory. So it wasn't as if they were just, you know, getting mauled. They, they're competitive. They're, our defensive line has been a deep, competitive group. Our corners, you know, have been their young players. You know, at one point when Dabney was out there, it was all freshmen. <laughs> freshman safeties, freshman corners, and they were competing. And that's what I appreciate about them is their competitive nature. And I look forward to them 
continuing that um, against Texas Tech, and they're going to need it because Texas Tech still has all that good spread personnel. they got a veteran quarterback, and they're going to be able to find productivity. Yeah, you mentioned the blown coverage against Iowa State. Is that something you just kind of have to live with when you're playing young defensive backs? I mean, it's something you have to live with, but I think they, they are so consistent on not doing a whole lot on defense to prevent those kind of things. So I, I, I doubt that they look at that as, hey, this is something that just happens. They, they're trying to put them in coverages where it happens less, uh, but obviously you can't safeguard against just youth. So I think they're looking for, hey, we're going to be basic to give you guys a chance to, to focus on what you need to focus on. All right, it's homecoming weekend. So uh, anybody that you're you're excited to see this weekend that's going to be out here for uh, the KU football game? No, I hate all these guys. Man. <laughs> I just I hope I don't cross any paths. No, but I heard I heard my man Bill Whittemore's in town, um, and uh, hopefully he gets a, a king like ovation because he's just a great player and a great dude, and uh, just. As a player, and then as a grad assistant, he was on our coaching staff, too, um, after he finished. So, just a great dude. Yeah, we just had Bill on the show, actually, a couple weeks ago. And uh, we just wanted to have him on because there were some, I don't know, similarities we were wondering with him starting out with the beginning of Mark Mangino, like Jason Bean is, and also being a guy who transferred into the program like Jason Bean. And obviously very different running styles, but a dual threat as well in, in certain ways, just like Jason Bean to where, you know, and he saw big improvement from his first year to his second year. I wonder if that could be a similar path for, for Jason Bean. I don't see why not, man. Jason Bean, I think, has been a big-time player. I think he's, you know, kind of answered some questions that people had about him at Texas, te- excuse me, at North Texas in terms of what he could do in the passing game. Like I said, I, I've been so impressed with that stuff. And I still think he's just scraping the surface, especially considering, you know, the first couple games, the offensive line struggles made it really difficult for him. You see how they have leveled out their play. It's kind of allowed him to do some amazing things, and I think that will continue. All right, we're talking with Brandon McAnderson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, you ready for another round of game picks? We'll do it. All right, you are sitting exactly at 500 on the air, 27 and 27 overall. You are uh, 16 and 14 in college football. All right, uh, number 12, Oklahoma State at number 25, Texas. The Longhorns are giving up four points. I like Oklahoma State. They can run the ball, they can stop the run. Have you seen Bajon Robinson? Yeah, he's like I hadn't. So I had seen him when the year before, where he was a young pup. Uh, but last the Oklahoma game, which was so much fun to watch. I mean, he had it was like watching Saquon to me. There was his power and speed transition, and then he he's even more elusive than Saquon. Um, I I was I was floored by how good he was because I'm a huge Brees Hall fan. Um, and I think he's much better than Brees Hall. After seeing him in person, I mean, seeing him on that TV, I can't wait to see him in person. Yeah, he he's unbelievable. And I don't know if he'll get a chance to win the Heisman because it's hard for running backs now. And also he's on a team that, I don't know, maybe Texas will win out. But if you get three, four losses, it's always hard. But I would not be against him winning the Heisman. He is really freaking good. No question. Uh, number 11, Kentucky at number one, Georgia. Despite it being a top 11 showdown, Georgia has given up 22 and a half points. I don't think they'll cover, but I think they'll win pretty easily. Number 19, BYU in a Big 12 showdown at Baylor. The Bears are giving up six. Wow. 
BYU getting it in early. Yeah. I, I like Baylor's physicality, and it'll be an interesting matchup because the coordinator for Baylor's straight from BYU. Um, so I'm going to give BYU a slight edge just for that little that little matchup niche. Yeah, who do you think that affects more? Do you think the offensive coordinator knows the defensive personnel, or do you think BYU knows what he wants to run? Baylor is so basic on offense, I don't think they care. Their their success has been about their personnel, and I think that'll continue. Uh, TCU is at number four, Oklahoma. The Sooners are giving up 13-and-a-half. Well, if Caleb Williams is playing, you got to reevaluate everything (laughs) because all the things that were issues are no longer issues. I'm going OU. By the way, I don't know if you saw this story, but uh, Lincoln Riley, like – basically banned media availability because uh, a student reporter got into some building where he could see the practice, used binoculars, and saw that Caleb Williams was taking first-team reps and kind of broke the story that way, uh, which brought up, I saw a couple stories being circulated about some things that Mark Mangino used to do to try to prevent you know people from seeing into the practice field, especially since it was like right above the union. Are, are there any good stories there, or there are times where he was uh, maybe a little worried that like something was going to happen? Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, it, he was always you know tight knit, no public access, so that was normal. <laughs> he was he had he had strength coaches like private eyes. That was normal for him. All right, uh, last one for college football. Number 18, Arizona State at Utah. It's a pick em. Mm, I don't know anything about either team. But hopefully Utah wears those throwbacks. Those are cool. I'm going to go Utah. All right. Uh, on to the NFL. You are 11-13 and 13 on the air, so you got to get above 500 here. The Kansas City Chiefs are giving up 6.5. They're at the Washington football team. What's going on with these Chiefs? I, I think they'll cover they're just one and four against the spread, so uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, Green Bay is minus five at Chicago. Like Green Bay. The Chargers are playing at Baltimore. The Ravens are favored by two and a half. I like the Ravens. I like what they're doing. I think Lamar's been impressive. Yeah, I kind of feel like he's taken that next step as a passer, and they're coming from behind by double digits, which we hadn't seen before. I think that dude is quickly becoming a top-tier quarterback. What would his numbers be if Marquise Brown caught those balls against Detroit? Yeah. <laughs> he, caught, he dropped three long balls in that game alone. Arizona is at Cleveland. The Browns are minus three. I'm over Baker, so I'm going to Arizona. And Dallas is minus three and a half playing at New England. Dallas feels like the real thing. I think so cover. All right, those are the game picks with BMAC. BMAC, thank you so much for your time. Have a good homecoming weekend and have fun on the call tomorrow. And uh, hopefully, KU can uh, make it a good game with Texas Tech as it has been the past couple of years. Absolutely. Appreciate you, bro. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us here as he does every Friday on Rock Shock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta, Cole C. DeButar. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, Colsey DeButar, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joining us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We've also got high school football on your airwaves tonight. Six o'clock high school pregame coverage begins here on KLWN with Adam and Cole. That'll lead you into game time. Lawrence High 
playing right here on KLWN at 7 o'clock. Free State over on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com at 7 o'clock with pregame there starting at 645. And we've also got KU football coverage tomorrow, 3 o'clock, pregame 130. We'll have a special show out live, myself and Scott Chasen, at Mama's Tamale Shop from 12.30 to 1.30, so make sure to stop them by. We actually will have some KU football tickets to give away if you're early and uh, get there at a reasonable time. All right, now we're going to get on to this week's game picks. Adam is on fire. 6-3-1 last week. That brings his record up to 14-5-1 overall. I'm 33-26-1 overall. BMAC is exactly at 500. Cole, you got some work to do. 17-22-1. On the season. Let's start in college football. We're Adam 7 and 3. I'm 18 and 12. Cole is 8 and 12. First up, number 12, Oklahoma State at number 25, Texas, giving up four points. Um Wow, the Cowboys are giving up four points? The Longhorns. Okay. Um Well then actually give me the Cowboys and the points then. I, I really like the direction that program's going. I don't necessarily I haven't been overly impressed with Texas this year. Uh, yeah, give me Cowboys, especially since I'm getting points. Uh, I'm in the exact same boat as Adam. Uh, was have been a big fan of. I haven't watched every Oklahoma State game, but I'm a big fan of how they've been playing when I have watched them. And again, not not super on the Texas train, uh, even after their performance last week. All right, I'm going to use the F word on air. Frauds. That's what Oklahoma State is. Oklahoma State, a bunch of frauds. They're undefeated. They're bound to lose. They barely beat Missouri State. They beat them by one score. They barely beat Tulsa, who has a losing record. They beat them by one score. They are scathing by in these games. They barely beat Boise State by a point. Boise State's like 3-3. Three and three. Oklahoma State is frauds. They're not good. Texas, even though they got blown up by Arkansas last week, they were really impressive against Oklahoma. I know they ended up losing the game. The offense for Texas is unreal. Bajon Robinson, best running back in the country. Ever since Casey Thompson took over at quarterback after the Arkansas loss, the offense is explosive. I'm taking Texas minus the four points. Number 11, Kentucky. At number one, Georgia. The Bulldogs are giving up 22 and a half. <laughs> I'm not betting against Georgia all year. Um, I, I think they win. I, I'll take them by 22 for sure. I mean, maybe even more like 30. I, George, I still think is just going to run away with the national title this year. Give me the give me the dogs. Listen, um, I obviously am now 100% on the Georgia train after uh, Adam converted me. But 22 and a half is a lot, dude. Against number 11. <laughs> that, that's a lot of points. I also think it's worth noting Stoops kind of plays in such a way that it's really, really hard I don't know. It's hard. His system makes it really difficult to play from behind. Sorry, I, I had to interrupt there. Go ahead. No, I mean, that's valuable information for me. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with you here and go Georgia, but this was this would not be a bet I would ever make. If you gave me $100, <laughs> I would not make this bet because that's, so, that's a really wide gap between two, uh, you know, top 10-ish programs. I'm going Georgia as well. Just the, the defense is insane right now for the Bulldogs. Uh, Will Levis has been really good at quarterback for Kentucky, and that was really the big difference. They've had a really good defense the past couple of years, but they haven't had offense, so you would just think, well, Georgia can hold Kentucky to 10 points. Can they score 35? We still don't know who the Georgia quarterback is going to be. Is it going to be the backup Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels? That's a little scary, but 
I think they can win this game something around that 38 to 13, 38 to 14, and that covers the spread, but I do think it's going to be close. Number 19, BYU at Baylor. Big 12 showdown. Bears are giving up six. Um, didn't BYU, was last week their loss or was it the week before? Week before. Okay, maybe. so I can't even say bounce back. Um, you know, Baylor's kind of having a weird year. You, they're doing, I think, better than a lot of people thought they would. Um, I guess give me a lean toward the Bears. I mean, I know it's almost a touchdown. I'd actually be more comfortable if it was seven and a half than at six. Um, but a touchdown, yeah, I, I'd lean the Bears. I wouldn't bet this game. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go opposite. I think I think I like BYU better there. Uh, BYU doesn't have the same highs that Baylor's had this season, but I think overall I'm more comfortable picking them here. I like BYU in this in this case. It is as we were talking with BMAC, the offensive coordinator at Baylor was the offensive coordinator at BYU last season. I don't know how that relates to the game. Both these teams to me are top 25 teams. I know Baylor's not ranked. I don't know why Baylor's not ranked. They have one loss this year, and it was to Oklahoma State, who's undefeated and ranked 12th. Uh, BYU's only loss was to Boise State, but they're basically the the champions of the Pac-12 South. They beat Arizona. They beat Utah. They beat Arizona State. Um, I think BYU can keep it close. I like Baylor to win, but I think the Cougars at least keep it close, so I'll, I'll take the six points there. Big 12 matchup real this time. TCU at number four, Oklahoma. Sooners are giving up 13 and a half. Oh, Sooners, couple touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I think um, at the very least, I just even no matter what you say about the Sooners' defense, I think they found something with their backup quarterback. Although I don't think I think Lincoln Riley is being annoyingly secretive. If I was an OU fan, I'd be pretty annoyed with how Lincoln Riley's trying to keep this all a secret. Um, but I, I just don't think I, I I don't think TCU can score with Oklahoma. I'm also going Oklahoma, but I do have a quick question for you, Adam. How likely do you think it is that Rattler's not playing? Um, I mean, I probably think it's 60-40 Rattler, 65-35 maybe. Okay. It's the secret of nature of it that's just weird to me. I think coaches, I don't know, coaches act like they're, they're guardians of, you know, all of America's biggest secrets. And it's like, dude, <laughs> it doesn't matter that much. Calm down. Uh, well, if we're going to go off that student report, then it's going to be Caleb Williams. Yeah. I, he was allegedly with his binoculars yeah. on the first team. I feel like it's going to be like both guys are going to play. I, I don't know. But I think it, if you told me right now Caleb Williams was going to play the whole game, I would take Oklahoma easy with these numbers. I think so highly of him. Honest question, because I was just thinking about this. Caleb Williams, if let's say he were to start from here on out and Oklahoma were to go undefeated, he were to put up major stats. And ask if we win the Heisman? The Heisman race is not, like, there's no, like, clear front runner yeah, right I, now. I don't see why he couldn't get in the conversation. Has that ever happened, though? Do players taking over? matter to the Heisman They do, ever? but, I mean, there's no front runner this year, right? Yeah, yeah but guys are going to have, like, you know, four or five games on them. I don't know. That's the question. <laughs> I, I just think it's interesting. But anyway, I would take them. But because I don't know that, I still am really high on this TCU team. I'm going to take TCU plus the 13 and a half. Cole, did you take Oklahoma or TCU? Yeah, I took Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, number 18, Arizona State is at Utah. It's a pick'em. Really? Mm. Um, yeah, Herm Edwards and, and Arizona State. Give it to me. All right. Firm for Herm. Yeah, I'm 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 going to go that direction too. I don't I don't love Utah. So so I'm not the the fact that it's a pick'em is interesting to me because mm. I don't love Utah. Okay, I'm going Utah. Uh, 
I think it's weird this is a pick'em. Arizona State's ranked 18th. Utah's unranked. They have a couple losses. Why is it a pick'em? Utah lost to San Diego State this year. Vegas knows something. Give me Utah. Uh, my lock of the week. I'm five and one on the air in the locks of the week. Iowa, Purdue, under 43 points. Iowa's defense, really freaking good. Purdue's defense, solid. Purdue's offense has been very bad. Iowa's offense has also been bad. Under 43 points there. All right, on to the NFL. Adam, you're 7-2-1 in the NFL. I'm 15-9-1. Cole, you're 9-10-1. First up, Kansas City Chiefs, minus 6.5. They're at the Washington football team. Uh, we were all wrong on this last week. Um, but I still, like, we broke it down in hour one. I still think this is a, a game where the Chiefs get get really going on offense, and I, I can see it. I mean, really, all they have to do is win by a touchdown, and I can see them winning like a 35-24 kind of game, a game where the Chiefs win by double digits, but you're still iffy on the defense when it's all said and done. So give me Kansas City. Okay. Yeah, also give me Kansas City. Do you know what the over-under is on that game? If- I don't, but I would definitely take the over just blindly. Yeah, I know blind- it's not smart to blind <laughs> Blindly bet, but- over, but um, yeah, so I like I like the Chiefs here. Usually the highest over in a week in the like last week Bills Chiefs was I think 56 57 and a half which it actually ended up very close. I would have pounded the over and it actually did end up over but a lot closer than I would have thought it was. So it's probably around the like mid 50s. I would 100% take that, but I'm going to go with Washington football team. I just the Chiefs are 1 and 4 against the spread this year. They're not covering points, so why am I to think that's going to change this game? I'm going to go against it until it starts working. Green Bay, minus five at Chicago. Oh, Aaron Rodgers hates the Chicago Bears. He gets himself up. Um, I do think the Bears, are they're coming off a, a, a double-digit win against the Raiders team that was in turmoil at the time. Um, I think, uh, what's the kid's name, Fields, mm-hmm. is better than he showed in his first outing where he went six for 20. But, I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers really, truly embraces this rivalry. It's probably the last time he'll play, That's or the point. second to last time he'll play in this rivalry. Last time he'll play in Chicago. Yeah, though, yeah. I, I think Yeah, I think the Packers win pretty handily. Yeah, 100% on that. Um, I think that of any team in the NFL, Green Bay has a special way of dominating their, their rivals. You know, uh, beating the... Uh, beating the brakes off the Lions or the Bears or the Vikings. It, it, it's all its all just very passionate. I love it. Um, I think they're going to do it again. I'm going Green Bay too, but I'm wary here. Last week I had Green Bay over Cincinnati and ended up pushing, and I don't love that. That spurns me a little bit. And I took Green Bay, I think, the first week of the season to get the Saints. That didn't work. I haven't oh, had much boy, success this year. No, it did not. <laughs> not even close. So I'm going Green Bay, but I'm hesitant. How about you could very – sorry, and I know we, did, we need to move quick here, but just real quick – we could have a, a a Buffalo Green Bay Super Bowl. We could have two teams in the Super Bowl that each have week ones where you go, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. And two teams that, like, if you had to, okay, if you had to pick one for the rest of your life, Buffalo wings or cheese, you can only have, like, you can't have the well, other for the rest of your like life. Well, cheese curds. That's a big Yeah, do you mean cheese as a whole concept? Because the answer is cheese. But I don't if you know. I love buffalo, buffalo wings. Over all kinds of the thing cheese. I think I could live with. The thing about uh, buffalo wings is I only have them with blue cheese. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could just transition to ranch. Uh, I have a, an authentic Green Bay, Wisconsin cheese head at my house. Okay, well, I've what? worn it in Lambeau Field. See, the biggest problem with not having cheese for the rest of your life, you couldn't have pizza. You can't have yeah. pizza. Bread you can't sticks. have a lot of pastas. When you go to Olive Garden 
I could live without pasta cheese with on your pasta. Cheese. It you makes it better, but you could live instantly. without it. You, you could can... live without it. No, I, I would. I mean, if you're talking all, like, I would say that's why I'm saying you need to reduce it to just cheese curds. But then it's too easy. Then it's easily. I could live without no, cheese curds. I, I just don't go to Culver's, uh, I like, right? I, I like, so? I like More than wings. I like um, poutine. You would still take cheese curds over wings. Yeah. When, wow. When you're, when you're putting in on fries with gravy, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, we know, and I'm not going to say who because they don't give us money, but Derek, <laughs> you know the place where I go to for wings. Mm-hmm. Um, although Jefferson's has some pretty amazing wings, yeah. too. So there are, I, there's one place, and to be clear, I haven't lived in Lawrence for a few years, so I... Um, it's been a, a minute since I've had the, the pleasure of, of enjoying some Jefferson's wings, uh, which are delicious. So I'll have to go back there. But Derek, you know my main spot for wings. Yeah. Um, and oh, I couldn't give good. those up. They're I really could. I couldn't give them up. All right. Uh, by the way, L.A. Chargers at Baltimore. The Ravens are giving up two and a half. Um, oh, wow. Uh, That's a tough no, line. Give me the Chargers and the points. I mean, I, I think they're just going to win it. So I, you know, I'll take the points. Uh, give me Baltimore. I think that uh, the Chargers are maybe overperforming what their actual talent level is the last couple weeks. I am so in on the Chargers. I, I'm i at a point where I think Chargers, Bills, AFC Championship, book it now. Wow. Give me the Chargers plus the two and a half. I'm kind of with Adam. I think the Chargers win. So if you're giving me two and a half, it's just the cherry on top. Arizona is at Cleveland. It's minus three. I haven't seen, though. This might have moved to... Minus four or minus five because Nick Chubb is out. Wait, who's... Oh, it's minus three for the Cardinals? No, Cleveland's minus three. Oh, I'm sorry. That probably moved. So probably moved toward the Cardinals if Nick Chubb's out. Yes, probably here. Let's pick this last one while I look at that. Okay. Dallas is minus three and a half at New England. I'm... I really like Dallas, and, and I, I, I... We talked about this earlier in this week, and, and maybe even with you last week, Cole. Dak Prescott has way outperformed what I thought he I thought he would be so worthless with that contract um, not worthless but I just didn't think you could leave up to that kind of cat cap hit on your quarterback when it's Dak Prescott and he's really shown out um, give me the Cowboys yeah uh, I'm 100% on the Cowboys well uh, I don't want to say I'm on the Cowboys <laughs> train I'm gonna have to stop myself there but uh, I, I don't think New England is very good well look we're on the Cowboys until they inevitably disappoint in the playoffs but oh, okay, sure. It's still October. I want Dak Prescott to throw five thousand yards. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh. So. So I'm on. I'm definitely on the Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper. Those are my two favorite players on the team. I'm on that train, and I think that they're going to beat New England because I think New England is bad, just straight bad this year. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go with New England. This is one of those lines where I think Dallas is clearly better. But I'm confused why it's only three points. I honestly... New England almost lost to Houston last week. It was terrible. I mean, they should, probably should have lost. They were down like 22 to 9. Um, I don't know why this is only three and a half points. Vegas knows something. That's just one of those I'm chalking up to that. Okay, this is weird. The line has gone up. It is Cleveland minus three and a half against Arizona now. So it was three and now it's three and a hook? Yes. And, is and- someone in Arizona out? No, but Nick Chubb's Chubb, out Chubb's for the Browns. Only, Chubb's the only big name that's out. Um, I just still have such a tough time believing in the Cardinals, man. And I'm not overly high on Baker Mayfield, but that, that Browns defense is good. I think the Browns, I, I think with the exception of the quarterback, I think the Browns probably have the best roster in the in the maybe the entire NFL, certainly in the AFC. 
Uh, I think the only one that comes close is the Bills, who clearly have a better quarterback. But what'd you say it was? A field three goal, and a half. three and a hook. Jeez, uh, I'll lean the Browns, but I'm not. I I'm not putting any real money on this game. Um, Browns haven't let me down yet. I don't think I've guessed wrong uh, this year when I've picked the Browns. So I think I'm going to continue picking the Browns. But uh, I, I will say that I'm a lot higher on Baker than most people. I think Baker's a borderline top 10 guy uh, in terms of quarterbacks, which is, in my opinion, good enough to win you a Super Bowl. At the very least, it's good enough to get you to a Super Bowl. And it's probably good enough to win you a Super Bowl. That's what Jared Goff made me realize a couple of years ago. Arizona is going to be my pick. The three and a half, I think, is too much. Even if Cleveland wins this game, I think it's a close game. Arizona's undefeated. They've passed every test they've been given so far, even though I agree with you. Like, there is something about them that I don't know if it's just because Cliff Kingsbury's the head coach and it's hard to remove the fact that he couldn't even, like, make bowl games at Texas Tech. And it's like, now you're telling me he's supposed to win a Super Bowl with there. And that, that's hard to wrap your mind around, but. Kyler Murray is so freaking good. I think they can at least keep it close, if not win the game. So I'll take Arizona plus the three and a half. All right, that is our game picks for the week. With Adam Dravetta, Cole Cedabutar, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. About 20 till 5, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017. At 1320 KLWN, voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me in the KLWN studio is Adam Dravetta and Colsey Butar. They'll have your high school pregame show starting at 6 o'clock right here on KLWN, leading you up into game coverage with Lawrence High taking on Olathe North on the road here on KLWN and KLWN.com. And uh, for that one, you'll have the call from Joel Becker and Matt Llewellyn. That should be a heck of a game. Over on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com, I'll have the Free State football game. They'll be at home taking on Shawnee Mission East. I'll be on the call with Craig Hershiser on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. And then tomorrow, we'll be out at Mama's Tamale Shop, 1230 to 130. It's located on 9th Street in Lawrence. So it's right before you head into the game. They've got awesome tacos, empanadas, tamales, everything's Fresh made, four different flavors of margaritas. They have beers there as well, fresh waters. There's an outdoor patio where you can watch the other college football games while you eat your food. They've got a arcade situation for the kids or for yourself. I've been wanting to play the NBA Jam game there, and maybe I'll do just that uh, tomorrow. How about this? The KC uh, World Cup bid executive committee, who's trying to get a location for one of the spots of the World Cup in Kansas City, has partnered with Joe's Barbecue to cater for the FIFA delegation. Joe's Kansas City. Get it right. For the, With a FIFA delegation that's visiting Kansas City next week, there's no way that they're going to say no to this now, right? I think, um, so I, I, I want to say, um, say there are like seven or eight cities vying for four spots. I think it's already been determined the semifinals – in the final, I almost I'm almost positive it's determined the finals are going to be where um, in the Meadowlands where the Jets and Giants play. I'm almost positive that to be is that true. I I'm pretty certain that Houston and Atlanta maybe maybe just Houston was awarded one of the semifinals. So anyway, point being, the most that Kansas City will get will be some group stage games and some uh, and some round of sixteen type games, maybe the quarterfinals. But keep in mind, this is being shared, but uh, uh, 
for three countries. It's, it's Mexico, United States, and uh, Canada. Um, I think Kansas City has shown out enough as a soccer town, not just with sporting, not just with the NWSL squad, um, and not you know, and and then during the World Cup, whether it be the men's World Cup showing out at Power and Light to watch, or the women's World Cup showing out in the same numbers to to watch at Power and Light. Kansas City has shown itself, and even here in Lawrence, there's a great contingent of the Cauldron. Um, and right down on Mass Street, the Red Lion hosts some fantastic soccer watch parties. So even here in Lawrence, which is you know obviously not far from Kansas City, there's a great soccer contingent in this entire community. Um, but yeah, the the Joe's the Joe's Kansas City is is gonna everything else is building up to that. Joe's Kansas City puts it over the top. Yeah, I mean, how can you say no? Like, you have a Z-Man stuffed in your face. Yeah. You're like, okay, you come in here or not? And the guy's like, well, we have to think about it. You just pull the Bam. barbecue away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's the and problem. Then, and then on top of that, and sorry, I'll let, you call, uh, I'll let you talk in a second. When the World Cup happens, all these committee members for FIFA are going to be going to all those locations. So they'll have in their head, <laughs> in 2026, mm-hmm. they can come back and hit up yeah. Joe's No, they, they just need to, like, Pavlov dogs them, where yeah. they just, like, Keep getting them barbecue and have them thinking, yeah, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. Kansas City. Kansas City. Here's the problem. These Euros, these European types at FIFA, they wouldn't know good barbecue if it hit them in the face. They don't know the difference Which it's between about burnt ends <laughs> and their own end. They don't They don't know. You don't think so? Wait, is there just not barbecue in Europe? I mean, this sounds super No, like- there's no barbecue in Europe. They, you, you might get like some Korean barbecue or something. There's mm-hmm. there's not American-style barbecue But wouldn't barbecue that make it taste Europe. even better? Yeah. It would make right? it taste new maybe but i like hmm. consider consider this you know there's going to be some brits on this fifa panel there's going to be some french people on this fifa panel i think they would look down on barbecue you think it's like too messy yeah I, I, it's too messy like, it's, it's too early too, human. too much meat involved <laughs> meat, meat on fire they're like yeah <laughs> too human they're like too... where's the finally prepared pasta with no. you the know? british gonna... people are wondering why there's so much spice no in they're the... gonna love it it's so it's so it's so wonderfully cultural i think they're gonna love it i, hope I don't think do. there's any way you can't love it so i think i think it's gonna end up happening even if that didn't happen i think it's gonna end up happening if they're in kansas city which i'm excited for because i want to go to games if they are here, even if they are just group stage games, I think that's a cool. lot of work has to be done at Arrowhead. I know, yeah. but I also know that that's already been agreed to. That if they can land the World Cup, the the work is is a given. Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, why would you not? Because it's going to make so much money. Okay, um, I have an interesting segment here. I was thinking about this earlier this week. With you know, we've we've kind of hit this transition. There was like maybe a year down period between the end of like Philip Rivers and Big Ben, Peyton Manning. Tom Brady is still going, but those were like the the top tier quarterbacks just in the AFC who, who kind of ruled the the AFC side of things. And now Tom Brady's in the NFC. The other guys are all retired or Big Ben who probably should retire because he's been really bad this year. Um, so pretty much to this point, it is a brand new landscape. And it seems like kind of a, another big four has emerged. I don't know, maybe somebody like a Joe Burrow or something will eventually jump into this conversation. But right now it seems pretty clearly that like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, those are the guys that that kind of emerged as above the rest, so to speak. Um, so I'm curious, like if we had to to cross compare, and obviously if we do it by playing style, there is no compare. Like you're not going to compare Lamar Jackson to, you know, Tom Brady or, or 
Peyton Manning with how they play. So I don't mean by that standpoint, but just in terms of like how their careers went uh, with like awards or team success or just how we view them as like, like Philip Rivers, we view him as a, you know, I guess he'd be like a borderline Hall of Famer because some people think he's a Hall of Famer, some people don't. Whereas Peyton Manning, multi-time MVP, for sure Hall of Famer, multi-time Super Bowl winner. So just from that basis of how guys are viewed, how would you view, how would you compare those big four to the guys we had who were the previous flock of top AFC quarterbacks? I think Lamar turned out to be the one without a Super Bowl. I so think Phillip it's, Rivers? It's so, yeah, but I also, he's won an MVP, which Phillip Rivers never did. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I just think it's, I, Lamar, okay, so I talked about this off air, and, and Derek, you've heard my theory on this a million times, and now Cole, you get to. There are some quarter, most quarterbacks actually, most quarterbacks throw the football. Great quarterbacks sling pig. <laughs> and pig slinging is when you get a tight spiral, you can fit it into all sorts of windows. When you're slinging pig and it goes 50 yards, there's much less of an arc. When you're just throwing a football, it's an arc, so it almost just becomes like a punt. And so any advantage that your receiver has on his man is taken away because the ball floating up in the air for so long gives the defender time to catch up with his man. When you're slinging pig, it's a flatter arc, so it gets to your man quicker. Um, great quarterback sling pig. I haven't seen a lot of pig slinging from Lamar Jackson. So give me Lamar Jackson on the lower end of that. I just think one, he's going to get beat up so much with the way they use him. And uh, I think he's just going to be the type of quarterback who so many things have to be right around him for you to win a world championship with him. And once he starts getting paid, you're not going to be able to make a lot of things around him right because he's going to be such a cap hit. Um, so, no, I, I think Jackson uh, pulls up the rear. I don't think he winds up winning a title. Josh Allen could very well grab his first this year. Um, and... You know, it, it it's it's upsetting for us as Chiefs fans that we're not going to enjoy Patrick Mahomes in, in the AFC West the way Tom Brady was in the AFC East, where there was just nobody. I think the Chargers having Justin Herbert is going to give us a taste of what it would have been like had Drew Brees gone to the Dolphins and mm. been in the same uh, division as as Tom Brady. Um, I don't know if Herbert ever wins a, a title just because it's so weird for me to think about the Los Angeles Chargers as world yeah. champions. But um, I think Allen, I, I'll, I'll say probably a couple more rings for Mahomes, at least one total, maybe more for Allen, none for Jackson. And then I think um, Herbert is somewhere in between Jackson and the other two. I don't think you can compare anybody to Tom Brady, so maybe we should take that one out. No, yeah, no, no, one's, <laughs> yeah. Getting, no one's getting seven. Yeah. No one's getting seven. I have a question about your slinging pig theory. Yeah. Am I correct in assuming that when you're spelling the word slinging, there is no G at the end? It's just an apostrophe? Yeah, in apostrophe. Okay. okay. And by the way, that's also what the FIFA people are going to be doing, slinging pig. <laughs> They'll sling pig. With Joe's. Um, I'm... I'm really not on the train of Mahomes is going to win another ring. I think it's very, very possible that Mahomes never wins another ring. Uh, in fact, I would say that it, that is the, of all the occurrences, him not winning another ring is the most likely. Uh, so if I said it at .5, you'd take the under? Yeah. Wow. I think, uh, if, I think uh, if a casino said it at the point five, you'd have to pay money to pay. I, I think 
I think it'd be, be plus money. I think it'd be plus money to take the the under. But yeah. I don't think it would be like I don't think it'd be like eight to one. I think it'd probably be three to one. It's hard yeah. to win a ring. Yeah. There's no series no, it is. in the NFL. No, um, I, I mean I remember having conversations when Andrew Luck first came up and he was rookie of the year. And this is different because Mahomes is better than Andrew Luck ever was. But it was like over under one and a half Super Bowls for Andrew Luck. And it, you know, sometimes it just doesn't. Doesn't happen. Dan Marino, 48 touchdown season. If you look someone dead in the eyes and you go, how many rings is Dan Marino winning? They'd answer two, three maybe, because, yeah. you know, you had people like uh, Terry Bradshaw before him who wa- was a very, who was a very successful quarterback. But the fact is Dan Marino won zero. Yeah, Even I, think, the- I think Clark Hunt uh, has, you know, took the Dolphins so long to get rid of Don Shula. I think something Clark has, Clark Hunt has, is he is – I don't know. I really think he's got a, a level of impatience that he's not going to do what the Packers did and keep Ted Thompson probably till he overstays his welcome. I think um I just, I don't know. I just think it'll it'll get to a point where the Chiefs the Chiefs right now are at a point where they're they the the decisions they make personnel wise from here on out what is Mahomes going to be more like? Is it going to be more like Brady's tenure in New England or Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay, where he underachieves from a ring standpoint, the team underachieves, or they fill the trophy case? Um, I just don't. I think as an owner, Clark Hunt, he he hires the right guys and then lets them do their jobs, but he has no problem pulling the plug when the job isn't getting done. And I think if you're sitting there and it's 2028 and you haven't won and you haven't even sniffed another title then he's pulling the plug. So uh, Mahomes' contract is 10 years, am I correct? Yeah, Yeah, but I'm going to tell you right now, if the cap goes up to $400 million the way they think it will with this new TV deal, he's going to demand more money. So He'll but, want it to go to 60 a year. But, but let's just let's just say it's it's 10 years. So, so that's sort of the timeline in which the Chiefs definitely have Patrick Mahomes. I think that it's totally possible that maybe after this season, or maybe this season will, in you know, in looking back in hindsight, will be included in this uh, group. I think that we might not sniff a Super Bowl for another five years. Why? And it won't be until the back half of his contract when his uh, salary is a lower percentage of the cap than it than it would be now that we actually start like uh, you know being a Super Bowl contender again. And I think that's the reality of quarterbacks, even ones as good as Mahomes. I mean, Tom, we've never seen a quarterback as good as Tom Patrick Brady Mahomes. has. Um, poisoned people's minds, is I guess the way to put it, <laughs> in expecting quarterbacks to ever win as many championships as Tom Brady did. But I just I th- don't think that's ever going to happen. I, I think I think it's pretty clear, though, that they, the the one, one or zero seems like the exception. Six is also a clear exception, but Troy Aikman got three. Um, who else? Ben, I don't think that ben, was a cause ben, of Troy Aikman, ben, though. Well, I'm just talking about when people think of great quarterbacks. Well, here's it, here's I, I mean to to your point, Colt. Aaron Rodgers has one. Brett Favre had one. Peyton Manning until like his he, the second one counts, but it's like the second one was he got benched during the season. It was all about the defense, you know. Like if Brock Osweiler quarterbacks the Super Bowl, I don't know. They probably still win Breeze that game. Breeze just has one. Breeze just has one. It's definitely possible. I think Mahomes is better than. Every quarterback you just listed. Yeah. That's fine, but you know, uh, there were a lot of things going for all those people the year that they got their one, right? Breeze had uh, like Jonathan Vilma and a fantastic defense uh, 
uh, coordinated by Greg Williams, I believe, that year. You know, there, there, was, there was a lot of things going for all these quarterbacks in the year where they uh, got their one. Uh, Elway, uh, you know, had uh, Davis running uh, up and down the field yeah. for him, you know, in his uh, late 90s ones. I think that a Super Bowl with the way the NFL is set up where there's, you know, it's one game, winner take all for every single playoff game that there's no that you just need everything to line up precisely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think that's I, fair. I, I'll sit here def, I'll, I'll say definitively Mahomes gets another ring and it's in a Kansas City right. Chiefs uniform. So, I think that I would probably make the comparison for Mahomes to Manning. You just have the crazy numbers and everything. I, I think there's similarities there. You know what's funny? Um Lamar Jackson to me is I I don't know where to put him because I have seen so much improvement this year specifically from him. And, yes, I do wonder what it's going to look like. Is he going to wear down like a running back wears down? Because he's basically, to a certain extent, used like a running back. And that would obviously very much hurt his game. But I also see this year, you had the double-digit comeback on the Chiefs. You were down 19 points with three minutes to go in the third quarter and down 16 points with 12 minutes to go in that game against the Colts came back and won both games. So he's starting to change that narrative that he can't come back. On top of it, he's averaging 9.1 yards per attempt passing this year on a 67% completion percentage. Patrick Mahomes has never even averaged 9 yards per attempt passing in a season. So what he is doing in the air changes things monumentally for me, but it's it's hard for me. I don't know. Maybe for me, honestly, I would almost go Ben Roethlisberger with his comp, but I also kind of want to make... Ben Roethlisberger, Josh Allen's comp because playing style, they're a little similar in that they just like they're these giant quarterbacks who Big Ben did it in the pocket, but Josh Allen does it outside the pocket, but it's just maneuver the pocket basically and allow you to throw downfield. But I think it's very interesting. And, and Justin Herbert is the one that I really can't put my thumb on. You could convince me that Justin Herbert ends up being a top three quarterback perennially in the NFL. You could also convince me that once Justin Herbert gets off his rookie contract, we're going to look at him in a similar way to, I don't know, like a Matt Stafford, who's like a good quarterback, top 10 quarterback, but is he always that guy? And I don't know the answer to that because everything he has done so far has proven that he can be an elite and elite quarterback. And I'm leaning toward him more so being to the top three. But I just feel like there's still way less of a sample size on him than the other guys. But I, I think regardless, the AFC is in very good hands, and there are going to be some great matchups, great rivalries developed through the next 10, 12, 15 seasons with all these different quarterbacks. Makes it more challenging for the Chiefs that you have all these different quarterbacks in your conference just to try to go through to make it to another Super Bowl. But it definitely makes for an exciting NFL. With Cole Cedabutar, Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joins us next at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. You can hear him on the call tomorrow. 3 o'clock kickoff, KU Texas Tech right here on KLWN and on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Pre-game starts at 1.30. Uh, Brian, KU taking on Texas Tech tomorrow. Any special uh, broadcast plans with homecoming and, and a bunch of guys coming back in attendance? I know in the past you've had you know special guest players come on, uh, and I forget who the one. I think it was defensive lineman from the uh, 
oh gosh, was it the Aloha Bowl team or something who came on and uh, he had a good time with it. I don't know. Do you have any special broadcast plans with, with homecoming? I think you're thinking of Gilbert Brown, the grave digger. And uh, yeah, he was up in the booth with us a couple of years back. And uh, this year we're going to have Bill Whittemore on at halftime, which I think I think it's really fitting because you know you think back to what Mangino built in his first two seasons, getting to the Tangerine Bowl in year two with Bill Whittemore, probably as big a catalyst and reason as to why they made that run as any. I'm actually sitting in my office right now at KU. I have the VHS uh, tape of the Tangerine Bowl season highlight video with Whittemore on the cover of it. It's just, obviously, I don't have a VCR anymore. I don't know if you've ever had a VCR. But this is sitting on my uh, shelf, Kansas Football 2003, building the foundation. And there's Whittemore in this kind of New York Giants-era-looking uniform that we wore back then. And I've never actually opened this. It's still in the cellophane. But I'm going to have it uh, with me tomorrow to have him sign it and put it back on the shelf here. It's just kind of a memento. And I, I give you that visual picture to paint the overall parallel that, you know, that's what we're trying to build right now with Lance Leipold. And, and Bill's the perfect guy to come up there. And you know, maybe Jason Bean is our modern day Whittemore that over two seasons will get Kansas a year from now into position to where we're competing every Saturday in the league and have a chance to, to possibly catapult our way up into five, six wins by next year. You know, that's, that's the hope anyways. And so uh, I think it's fitting that he's our homecoming halftime guest. We're going to have a couple other interviews, at least two, uh, during the game with BMAC talking to guys on the sideline, which would be kind of fun. I know James Holt and Mike Rivera um, ben Johnson, some other guys are coming back, which would be fun. So lots to look forward to in that regard. Always great with homecoming, but it's especially great when you win on homecoming. And we did that two years ago with Texas Tech. So hoping that uh, maybe lightning will strike twice. Yeah, it's funny. We actually had Bill Whittemore on a couple weeks ago, and it was for those exact same reasons with you know the parallels that you can draw to this team. And he was a great interview. So I'm looking forward to hearing him being on the air uh, in that game tomorrow. Uh, so KU's coming off the bye week here against Texas Tech. How much do you think that bye week is going to help them, and in what ways do you think it's going to help them against the Red Raiders? Uh, I, I think that, uh, for starters, they were able to give the guys some extended rest and only went for three practices last week, giving them the first half of the week off to heal up, rest up, come back with fresh legs. They had a chance to do a lot of self-evaluation in that time. And You and I talked last week about you know how big a bye week could be when you're dealing with a coaching staff who's only been working with these guys since August the 1st. And so even though they didn't pound out five or six practices in one week, instead giving them time to rest up, I think the three practices they did have were meaningful in terms of self-evaluation and working on some individual player development and, and fundamental progress and all that. Then you turn the page to Texas Tech. I know they had a spirited Sunday night practice last week to kind of kick off the game week preparations and have been going at it throughout this week with an extra skip in their step. And so I would look to see a high-energy Kansas team that's absolutely still believing they can make a lot of this season. And they should. I mean, you've got more than half your games left, and you've got a lot of home opportunities still in front of you. It seems like we haven't been home forever, it feels like. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped up. You know, it's, it's rare you have two 
non-con road games, and obviously we had the one uh, Big 12 home opener versus Baylor, but we really haven't been at home much this year. And so I look at the upcoming schedule and the opportunities that lie ahead, including tomorrow versus Texas Tech, and I think there's several on that slate that – Jayhawk players feel like they got a great shot to go out and win. And so I think uh, it's no surprise that they're still completely bought in and still highly motivated, and it's been a spirited week of practice, and hopefully that spills onto the field tomorrow afternoon. What do you think is going to be the, the biggest challenge that Texas Tech is going to provide for Kansas that um, that they'll be giving this, this Jayhawk team, whether it's on offense or, or defense? Well, I, I think any time you play Texas Tech, whether it was you know 15 years ago in the Mike Leach era with Crabtree and Graham Harrell and the air raid attack, or nowadays more what they do with the RPO game and, and a lot of uh, different shifting in player formation and, and misdirections that they'll use, they're going to be an offensively challenging team because they've got explosive playmakers they do a lot of creative things and as we saw last week you know their their run game's pretty potent they've had injuries at both the quarterback and running back positions and they've proven to be more than capably deep uh in responding and recovering from both of those and so i'll be interested to see what it looks like tomorrow but you know particularly with columbia who came with Matt Wells from Utah State. He was actually Jordan Love's backup, if you're familiar with the Green Bay Packers backup quarterback that they spent the first-round pick on. And he's done an admirable job stepping in ever since the Oregon transfer got hurt. Then you see Thompson go off last week at running back and have the huge game with three touchdowns versus TCU. And so they've uh, they've proven to be very capable with the explosiveness of even their second-string skill position guys and in talking with some folks in Lubbock it's pretty remarkable that they were able to win at West Virginia based on just a decimated injury situation across the offense including some guys up front the fact that they pulled that one out of the fire 23-20 in Morgantown on the heels of giving up 70 the week before to Texas it says a lot about the fight on this Texas Tech team, and while clearly they're not setting the world on fire, uh, you know, the four-two start, some would say, is is a little propped up based on um, you know, what they've had to fight through, injury and personnel-wise, and how some of the games have gone uh, in the losses, giving up fifty-two and seventy points respectively. I know there's still some naysayers down there in Lubbock because of that. But honestly, Derek, when I look at a, a Matt Wells program that only won four games in each of his first two seasons, and now they sit here in four and two uh, at the midway point of this season, I don't care if some of it's smoke and mirrors. I, I tip my cap to these guys and say, man, if they, if they find a way to win tomorrow in Lawrence, they're one game away from bold eligibility. And I think uh, while Texas Tech fans want more and they want to feel like you know this thing is, is trending even more upward than what it's been, uh, you know, to possibly get to five wins should they win tomorrow, I think Texas Tech fans should feel pretty good about that. But I give you that perspective, having talked with some tech media, they're a little bit pessimistic just to paint the picture for Kansas fans that, you know, this this is a team that started its reset three years ago with Matt Wells when Les Miles took over at Kansas. And that's in part why it's been so close the last two years. They were going through a new coach getting acclimated as well. And obviously we beat them on homecoming 37-34 a year, two years ago. And, and last year lost by three, 16-13 when, when Wells was out with COVID. And many wonder what may have happened to his tenure had Kansas won that game. 
But um, I, I fast forward a year, and yeah, they've got a, a pretty glossy, impressive record at four and two. But it sounds like, in talking to people that are around this team, you know, they, they've really had to uh, you know to eke a couple out to get there, given the the injury situation. And so that would tell me that Kansas has a great shot tomorrow. Should we come out and play our game? I know in talking with Coach Leipold this morning, we always tape our interviews super early on Fridays. and He wants more explosive plays. Obviously, you have to win the turnover battle when you're a two-touchdown underdog. You have to find a way to steal extra possessions. And, and add in my own key, I, I think you want to play from out in front as much as you can. Not that this is the Texas Tech era of Leach and Kingsbury that's going to go out and score 55 a game. But uh, you know you don't want to get in a situation when you're in a multiple touchdown hole against a Texas Tech offense that has proven to be pretty capable. And we ran through some of those names I gave you a second ago. So looking forward to seeing what that looks like for Kansas. But I, I would paint this picture that the Tech is clearly the favorite. Their coach is in his third year. Our coach is in his sixth week. But I don't think they're in a different stratosphere, and, and I, I think that it's absolutely a game where if Kansas catches some breaks, makes some breaks themselves with some, some takeaways on defense and special teams, we might just have a chance to pull another homecoming stunner, and, and that's what you hope to have every time you show up to the booth, and I think uh, that's exactly what Kansas fans should feel walking in tomorrow. We're talking with Brian Haney here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I, I do want to Talk a little basketball at the Big 12 uh, media day next week. we got Big 12 preseason polls and stuff coming out uh, earlier this week. KU had three players on the all-Big 12 preseason team, and if that ends up coming to fruition, that means they'd have three of the top five or six players in the league, which I, I don't know if that's possible at the end of the year because sometimes it's just stats-based and you know you might kind of eat each other up. But if that ends up being true that they do just at least have three of the top six or ten players in the league in addition to their depth, I think it's hard for me to imagine how this wouldn't end up being a great team at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an understatement, right? I mean, they might be a, a phenomenal team if that's the case. And uh, uh, I, I know that, the, as you pointed out, it's a lot easier in October to rack up some of these uh, first-team projections when it's all based on stats the year before. Like in Remy Martin's case, you know, he gets the vote as the preseason conference player of the year because he was the last season Pac-12 scorer of the year at 21.5 per game in the league. And that's not going to translate directly to Kansas because there's more mouths to feed. What's going to be asked of him is different. They don't need him to go out and score 22 a night. Uh, it might be somewhere closer to 16. And yet, if they win the ultimate team prize as Big 12 champions, uh, you know, he could very much back up that preseason award with the postseason distinction. And as you well know, Derek, that is the easiest way to make your way into the Allen Fieldhouse rafters of all the current criteria, a Big 12 player of the year, though not an easy task, is, is a lot easier than first-team All-American, right? And, uh, and he could do that. You know, doing it in the preseason doesn't matter. You have to do it in the postseason. And, and uh, I, I think that's you know, absolutely there for the taking for a guy. Wouldn't that be amazing? He's here for eight months and then has his jersey hanging for all of time. But uh, whether it's him, whether it's David, whether it's Ochai or, or somebody else, 
Uh, I think Kansas has a, a great shot to, to live up to those preseason expectations because this really is an incredibly talented team with a lot of veteran experience and a lot of guys that uh, you know have been through the fights in the Big 12 Conference, and they're going to go up against some talented, experienced players as well, some of which are coming to this conference from outside of the league and transferring in for the first time. But I, I look at the competitive balance at the top with, with Texas nipping at our heels uh, as a preseason number five or six ranked team, depending on where you look. Baylor's top ten, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, all in the midst of uh, of uh, some of those upper echelon teams as well. And it'll be another competitive year. But as I survey the landscape with, with some of these transfers coming in that we don't know everything about just yet, I don't blame the coaches and media that are picking three Jayhawks in the top six players because these are guys that have all had excellent Big 12 success, and you would project and extrapolate them to be even better and truly at their best in the season ahead. So I think that made perfect sense. And now it's just time to go out and back it up and understand that the individual accolades are nice on paper in October, but team championships and banners hung are what it's all about in March, and that's what we hope we'll see here in the next five, six months. I don't know what the criteria for Arizona State is, but I wonder if this has ever happened. I don't know. Maybe it has, but this might be a good trivia question. Has there ever been a, a college basketball or college football player who has like their jersey retired at two different schools? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure somebody much smarter than me knows the answer off the top of their head. But I, I think for your next RCST trivia challenge, you got to look that up and bust that yeah. out. That's a I'm tough try, one, I'm though. To think of, like, famous transfers where that might have happened. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, might, it certainly has happened in the pros, but but I don't know about uh, college. Surely it's happened somewhere. You would think, but I don't know. That's that's kind of tough. It, I would imagine it's going to definitely be more open to happening the more we get more and more transfers, but it's got to be that special search situation, like you said, where you, know, you basically have to spend – three or four years at one school do well to where you get it at that school and then at the other school you just have to have the most amazing one year that you possibly can um right we were having this conversation on the show the other day about uh, whether you view this team to be an offensive or or defensive team Uh, not in the standpoint that they're going to be like bad at one and and great at the other they're probably going to be really good at both but Last year, you know, they were still solid at both, but they were more of a defensive team. Or you could look back to, you know, the 2018 team, which was more of an offensive team. Is there one you look at more than the other for this year's team that you head into the year and think that, yeah, you know, I think the defense could be good, but the offense, I think, is going to be great or kind of vice versa? I I think that they'll be above average, certainly at both. Uh, I think they will be an exceptional offensive team with the weaponry they have so long as as they all play in concert together. And, you know, you want to have clearly defined roles as to who the ball is in the hands of late in the game, whether that's Remy or Ochai, you know, who's just taking the big shot. But at the same time, you want guys with that ultimate team-first buy-in to where they don't care you know, if, if one guy's the leading scorer one night and the role shifts the very next night. And I think based on the type of kids that are the leaders on this team, they're a selfless team-first group to where that's not going to be a worry at all. Uh, and because of that, I think you will see them with great offensive chemistry and, and great sharing of the ball and, and a catalyst, uh, you know, to distribute like – like DeWan and Remy to get the ball in the hands of other guys to, to set them up to succeed and excel. So I, I think they'll, they'll be 
really good at both, but exceptional offensively. Defensively, you know, I, I don't know how long it'll be again before we have a defense as good as we had two years ago with Udoka and Marcus Garrett, who were each as good at their position defensively as anybody in America. I mean, you, you had the, the two arguably best defensive players in the country on the same team, one on the perimeter and one on the block. And, and that is just, that, that's why I was so bullish in 2020 that that team was going to make it to the final four and possibly cut down nets because when have you ever had that uh, historically? And I don't know how quickly we'll ever see that again because Marcus Garrett, probably the best defensive player I've ever covered. Self has said it's the best defensive individual player he's ever coached at Kansas, and that's two decades deep. Uh, and then you add in an elite you know, rim protector, uh, just agile, shot blocker, shot alterer, and Yudoka Azubuki on the back line, which, you know, for every shot he blocked, he altered two and a half more of them. Uh, and so, you know, to, to call this team a defense close to that wouldn't be fair because that, that team is in a category all of its own. But I think they will be above average defensively, and Self's best teams have been teams that hold the opposition to less than 40% and, and lock down and turn defense into offense where the two you know, play complementary together. So I think you know, both of those aspects of this team will be great, but I think offensively they have a chance to be truly special because if you try to take away two guys, here come three more that could drop 15 to 20 on you on any given night, and, and that's pretty special and not something you see every year. He's Brian Haney. You can hear him on the call tomorrow of the KU Texas Tech game, 3 o'clock kickoff here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Brian, thank you so much for the time, and have fun tomorrow. Always a pleasure, my friend. Happy Friday, and we'll talk to you next week.